In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. Happy National Coffee Day. That is, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, which is September 29th. I am a coffee fan. I don't know that everybody knows that, but I would gladly celebrate coffee any day of the year. I don't really need a holiday to celebrate it. I'm currently enjoying a Hawaiian coffee, and I'm a bit hooked after our three weeks this summer in on the islands. And it, it's just, it's one of those things every once in a while just takes me back to a place where I might remember an experience or a conversation with a friend. And I think the world could just use a few more coffee conversations right now. I chuckle actually when I saw that it was National Coffee Day as I was recording this episode because I was like, oh, that's kind of what I wanted this show to be. I imagined it would be like having coffee with a friend and talking about all of our adventures. Like that's what I envisioned Ordinary Sherpa to be if it was like a conversation in real life. So worth noting. I also found that while I really enjoy these coffee conversations, I really would love to have more coffee conversations with all of you. Uh, one, I think I mentioned this on the last episode. Actually, I know I, I mentioned this on the last episode because I had several people take me up on it. I shared that I have recently been asked if someone could buy me a cup of coffee. And I agreed. And they sent me a link to buyacupofcoffee.com and to set up a profile. And so I did. And I am just really thrilled. I had a couple people take me up on the offer. And I did offer on the last episode, if you buy me a cup of coffee, I will schedule a quick meetup and we can share a cup of coffee together. So I have my first coffee meetup today with a listener. So thank you so much. If And I'm not one to have advertising. On, I just feel like it interrupts the flow of conversations. I'm not interested in sponsors from that lens. I'm not trying to sell you guys gear or anything like that. So I've just decided, you know, if this is something that you like and you want to buy a, me a cup of coffee and say thank you and support the show, I'm going to let you. So buy me a cup of coffee. The link is in the show notes. It's buymeacupofcoffee.com. I think it's backslash Ord Sherpa. And if you don't really want to buy me a cup of coffee, but you want to go deeper with the content or get more engaged, you can find other ways to support the show with the links that I always keep in the show notes. The theme for today's episode, though, is learning how to swim. And I thought it was fun because partially the the guest is really related and has a lot of affiliation with the world of swimming, but also because swimming is more than just the physical sense or the, more than the sport. And I feel like so many of us might just be swimming through life right now. It seems like a good metaphor for what people are experiencing. Swimming through information drowning with decisions. In some ways, we kind of just got dumped into the deep end of the pool and we're still just trying to figure out how to swim. My guest today, though, has been working with Michael Phelps, who is well known in the swimming space. Yes, I'm talking about the Michael Phelps who has 23 Olympic gold medals in the sport of swimming. 
We'll learn about this crazy adventure, but also the focus of the foundation, which places an emphasis on learning how to swim. I met both Marissa and Michael Phelps several years ago as our work lives had intersected at an event called the U.S. Venture Open. And actually, we talk about this on episode 33, Creating Memorable Experiences with Don Rashala. So if you haven't heard that one, you might want to check that out as well. But I had this pleasure of spending an entire day with both Marissa and Michael. And to say that I was impressed is kind of an understatement. And I'm not one that's enamored by fame and fortune. In fact, I'm usually turned off by that. So it was quite impressive to just experience their authentic generosity and humility. And it just built a connection when I left that experience that I was like, wow, I can't imagine not ever seeing these two people again. So it's been a fun way for us throughout the years. While a lot of our lives have not interacted much since then, a couple times, it has been a connection far beyond being simple work acquaintances. Marissa Fortier is the managing director at the Michael Phelps Foundation and has been working alongside Michael Phelps since 2003. She has been with the foundation since it was founded in 2008 and helped develop the foundation's signature IM program curriculum in 2009 and piloted the program in 2010. The Michael Phelps Foundation has three pillars focused on water safety, healthy living, and the pursuit of dreams. Today, Marissa lives in Maine with her husband, two daughters, and dog. Marissa, it is such an honor and a pleasure. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thank you so much. I am very excited to be here. And I, in my introduction, I talked a little bit just about how we met, but I think one of the things that's just fascinating is I talk a lot about authenticity and there's very few times in my life when you meet someone and you're just like, I need to know that person and hang out with that person. And I'm pretty sure when I first met you, I I ended the day by saying, I think you're my new best friend. (laughs) It was you or me. I kind of thought it was me, but I'll, um, I'll take it any way I can get it. Um, I'm actually looking at my daughter's best friend necklace. She just bought one. She's seven for the first time. And it's just like such vivid memories of doing that as a kid. So it's, it's funny that you said that. And yes, I, um, we had such a great time meeting and I am still grabbing hold of you, as you know, cause we're doing this now. And that was like four or five years ago. And it was just such a fun time. And you are just just have like this natural light that I think people gravitate to. So I was, I was thankful to get to meet you and thankful that I can be on this podcast and still stay in touch. When you reached out, I was like, Oh, I thought I'd never see you again. Cause the <laughs> world stopped, but here we are. So I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you for those kind words. That's really, I would say it's, it's uh Mutual. I really enjoyed spending some time with you. And I think one of the things just in our role, and we'll get to what our jobs are in a little bit, is just you never know who to trust, you know, especially I know you're around Michael and people want Michael for a lot of different things. So it's always kind of interesting what people are hoping to gain. And I never felt that way with you. Like it was truly an authentic thing. And that's one of the assets I think of this community too, is that there's a lot of people that are just mutually interested in different lifestyle or in adventure or in family connection. So I just felt like the feelings were very mutual. Appreciate that. Yeah. And you know, it was mutual because even with Michael, we just couldn't believe how nice everyone was. So, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm from the Northeast and naturally just very sarcastic and if you're not catching on to the sarcasm I just look really rude and then we went out there and I was like Michael do I need to tone it down a little bit you know and he's just kind of laughing and everyone kind of got it but it's just the Midwest is like a bunch of beautiful people who are so kind but to your point it really 
I don't have to protect myself as much as Michael would because it's hard because, you know, you think you're like, let's say he gets invited to a baseball game and they're like, yeah, you can come up to the skybox and enjoy the game. But then 10 other people show up and they're looking for his autograph and his picture and everything. And they don't get to even watch the game, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's things like that, that you can see he's got probably some walls up, just protect himself. I, I, you know, I've got not a lot to offer besides maybe my witty commentary. So (laughs) I can slip under the radar a little bit more, but yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's tough to be in that space and to navigate through if people just want something from you and just Heidi through you and the other, like they had me play, you know, where generally I'm just kind of stuck in the clubhouse, just like going through emails. So it's just like a real nice time. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's just a great group you guys have out there. Yeah. For those, just to like recalibrate, Dawn Rashala was on the show on the Ultimate Event Experience, and I'll link her episode in the show notes. So the event that Michael was at with Marissa was the U.S. Venture Open, which we talked about in in one of our previous episodes. So I do think, though, you bring up a a really key point. And, And a lot of times... There's a couple things there that I want to pull on is when people are traveling, you don't always know what to expect when you're going into a new place. And part of the value, I think, of travel for me has always been a new and uncomfortable experience. And for you, it was like, oh, people are nice. And I was like, yeah, that's actually how things are in Wisconsin. Like we I think our slogan at one point was you're among friends, because that's literally how the culture of Wisconsin Generally speaking, it's a culture of like friendliness, of humility. And so I always joke with my Eastern friends and Northeastern friends like, oh, that's right. You're a New Yorker. or Oh, that's right. Like you grew up in a very different environment. And I have to keep that context relative so that when I go there, I'm like, oh, they're a little more brash. And I don't it's not a, a discredit to who you are or any indication that that's less than in any way, shape or form. It's just like my own personal awareness that, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not in Wisconsin anymore. And I have to sometimes buffer myself (laughs) about my Mm -hmm. expectations or how to go about exploring those areas. But I also think the commentary that you and I had is we both are in unique positions where we sometimes know what people are looking for and have to I don't know, be a buffer in some cases for the people we work for. I think right. that's maybe where, you know, learning to trust your gut and there's there's just a lot of people and, and I don't, it comes across as a point of privilege and I'll, I'll just honor it and own it. Like I understand that having the privilege of the job that I do and having control and power, I understand all of those things are part of the job, but sometimes it can be exhausting to try to figure out, is this an authentic ask? What is, mm-hmm. what is this person trying to gain? So right. for what it's worth, I think that that's just part of how you and I connected. So I think it's relevant for this conversation. Let's go back to you, though. How? Yeah, let's talk about me. Yeah, let's talk about Marissa. <laughs> I love learning a little bit more about you and the people that are on my show is how did you get into this role? I have this question all the time and I am always like, I don't know. So tell us a little bit more, though, of your backstory and who is Marissa? Yeah, I love how you framed up that question because I it's always funny. It's like, how did, like, Heidi, how did you and I get on this podcast, right? Like, I'm in Saco, Maine. I'm back in my hometown. And we have this ex- shared experience. So it's it's always funny to kind of bring people through, like, what brought us to this conversation. So I guess, honestly, it started in high school. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And my guidance counselor was just said, you should do sport management. And this was like, oh, I don't know, 
I'm, I'm 30. No, I'm not. Uh, this was like 20 <laughs> years ago. So um, I was like, okay, I will do that. And there was only a few schools at that time that had sport management. So I went to Springfield College in Western Mass and I did sport management. I always thought I wanted to teach, but I just never really got there because I'm, I'm from Maine. I never thought sport management would be an option. But anyways, I, I liked the courses, had great professors, and then decided I wanted to study abroad. I've always loved Australia. It's been, and it's an easy place because it's English speaking, right? So I went and studied and by study, that's a, a really <laughs> generous term. I went, um, I failed all of my classes. Um, I think there was four of them or I got a pass in religion. And honestly, I think they just felt bad for me. Um, so failed all my classes, uh, came back, I was a junior, and when in my graduating year, um, I had some bunch of credits I needed to make up for. So, you know, universities and colleges are so generous, they're, they're like, well, you can pay for an internship for those credits, um, and then we'll give you your diploma after. So I walked with my class, and I was looking for internships in, around me because I was like broke, and there was this company called Octagon in Maine that was like 20 minutes from my house. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll go for my interview and see like what I'm going to be doing. They are a sports agency. So I went for my interview. I wore this really bad suit and I didn't wear like any jewelry with it. You know what I mean? Just like real yeah. rough. Um, I bought like a briefcase. So it's just like kind of setting the scene. So I go into the interview and uh, one of my best friends now, her, uh, her name's Morgan, but she, she interviewed me and she showed up and she was in jeans. She had like a John Deere belt buckle and a t-shirt. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, what have I done? But we had a great interview. She hired me and that was 2003. And I remember talking to Peter Carlisle, who's Michael Phelps's agent and him telling me, you're going to, we're going to have you work with who is going to be the the biggest, one of the biggest athletes in the world. And so I'm like, okay, like, sure, you know, and, <laughs> and then I find out he's a swimmer. So I'm like, okay, like double sure, of course, he's, he's a swimmer, I'm working with him in Maine, you know. So then, you know, we have a crazy first year. Uh, this was 2003 to 2004. So I'm fresh out of college. Michael is fresh into the professional field of, you know, being an athlete. We're both babies, him younger than I. Um, and we just kind of hustle our way through doing a ton of photo shoots, ton of appearances, really in over our heads, but getting, you know, figuring it all out as we go until we went to the games in 04. He had a great games. We had plenty of funny stories from that. And then I worked with him as his manager through 08. Um, got totally burnt out, if you can imagine, Heidi. You, yeah. We traveled everywhere. I mean, I'd say 70% of my time was traveling to all over the place. So I was just tired and I, I thought I wanted to like kind of grow up, like get a home, have a family, do all that kind of stuff. So I stepped aside and then started working at his foundation and was able to kind of bring back that desire to work as a teacher because I, I was able to do some curriculum development and start working locally with our program participants and things like that. So 
that's what I've been doing since. And then I, as I mentioned, um, we had the uh, U.S. Venture Opportunity, which, um, you know, the organization you work for was was part of. And that's how we met. And that's how we're here today. Yeah. Yay. Now all my listeners can understand. I love this story, too, because I think so often we just assume that everyone's got it made on the other side. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I remember 03 and 04. I was mm. a teacher in Chicago and I actually remember my I think it was my sixth grade homeroom class their theme for the year was like Olympics. And I had so many Michael Phelps fans and I didn't even really know who he was. I think he was like 16 at the time, you know, like (laughs) I really wasn't into swimming. I I was into sports, but I wasn't, I mean, I loved the Olympics, but I didn't really know anybody. And so it's just so fun. And, and then you're like, Oh, okay. So I got excited because these kids that I was around again, I was probably gosh, maybe 24. Mm-hmm. So I was fresh out of college as well. And all these kids were so excited about Micah Falls. I'm like, there is something magical. Like there's a magnet that people are drawn to him. And I never really drank the Kool-Aid. You know, I don't get right. really caught up in fame and fortune. And I had a number of experiences too, where I got to meet really famous people and have been on stage at Warner Brothers with some famous actors. And, you know, I got to do some really fascinating things and it just never struck me like I was never starstruck. And then when I met Michael and you, we had so much fun just kind of, you know, bantering back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, legit. He is one of the coolest, famous human people I've ever met in my life. And he's just very authentic. So I really appreciate you kind of bringing people along for that story. Yeah, definitely. He is super cool. I feel really fortunate to work with him. I mean, where I mean, like Wisconsin, we're Mainers and we we don't get really impressed with much. We're kind of I don't know, just kind of let things kind of go by and um, kind of stick to our own. So I one, I feel really thankful that I've had all these opportunities. You know, I grew up middle, you know, again, very generously labeling that middle class and I don't think outside of traveling to Australia, that might have even been my first flight, maybe my second or third. So like I was not worldly in any sense. Um, so I feel really thankful, like you mentioned before, to, to have these opportunities. And I think because of that, Heidi, I, I never said no, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so um, I see some new guys kind of come on board and they're just like not excited because I don't think they've been, I think they've had the opportunities that I was just so grateful to have that was being presented in the work setting. So, I mean, I said yes to everything. And when I went back to, I talked at my high school and someone was like, well, what's the advice you would give? And this was like, you know, 15 years ago. And I basically told this room full of kids and like their parents. And these were like the smart kids. I don't even remember what kind, you know, like they've had an accolade, I'm sure. And I was like, just um, never say no and go broke. <laughs> that was my <laughs> And that was really how my 20s and early, I'd say 20s were spent. Just all these adventures were coming on because one, I was just thankful for them. But two, I just, I didn't think there would be another chance for that. And I think by having kind of humble means, like that's excitement that comes in that you really have to try to capture. As I look at all these different adventures through my life, that was just my perspective of like, oh, I've got to capture this moment. Like, I don't know when I'm going to get another chance like this. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, Let's pause on a couple of those crazy adventures that you had in your 20s. And 
probably like if you were to pick maybe two or three, what were some of the most memorable and what about it was something that you cherish from that experience that is like, oh, gosh, I'll never forget this. Good or bad, you know, because I think sometimes we remember the bad ones just as much as the good ones yeah. or maybe more than the good ones. So just love right. to hear what were some of those crazy adventures that. Oh, that is helped- a good question. Um <laughs> I, I've always loved Saturday Night Live, and this was after it must have been the 04 games. Michael was a baby. Uh, <laughs> we keep been talking. Eight. He was what sixteen? Let's just eighteen, I think. Okay, maybe yeah, eighteen. And so he like knew about it, but he wasn't as pumped as I was, who was used to watching SNL and like the glory days when it was just kind of hilarious. And I got to. Well, I wasn't supposed to, but I went with him from room to room to each writer to hear like their pitch to him. And um, like, you know, a couple of the times they would be like, oh, so why are you in here? You know, but I was like, because I'm I'm a really big fan. I'm not going to leave. So that was like super cool. I think Lil Wayne performed, which was on Michael's top list at that point. So, yeah, that was really fun for me. I also just I went to the Winter Games as well. And Torino was just a beautiful kind of experience. It was just a, a lovely city. And I, uh, Michael wasn't competing, but he was there. We also, I was also working with a couple of other athletes at the time. And I just kind of got to experience the games as almost a spectator, but, you know, with like the company's budget. So it was really nice to have that. Um, and then, of course, you know, 08 in Beijing, when Michael captured the eight metal gold medals that was that was pretty amazing and just kind of jaw dropping on how it all went down so those were uh, you know some some big pivotal moments there's a bunch of like little splattered stories in there but then you know also in Beijing so we all booked our hotels and for some reason I booked the wrong maybe it was a Hilton or something and so I was like an hour and a half away from all my other coworkers. Right? Oh my gosh. So I, I can't, I just end up at the hotel and I'm there and I'm just like, this doesn't feel right. And of course, no one's speaking English in China as like they shouldn't <laughs> like, I, you know, like you should be prepared and have, so it took us forever to get to this hotel. And I'm like, text the guys. I'm like, Hey, I'm here. Where are you? And they're like, we're down in the, like, the food lounge or something. So they had this like amazing experience in this Arlo hotel where like one of the sponsors was like providing food. And then I was like an hour and a half away by myself in this hotel that wasn't even finished being built. So a funny thing that um, the Chinese did was they built buildings for it to look even bigger and more magnificent, but half of them were like empty. So my hotel was half halfway done. So it was just like really funny and also kind of scary at the same time to be in like, you know, this country where no one speaks English all by yourself and not really having a reliable thing. So that those are a few that kind of stick out. Yeah. And did you end up moving to where the team was and where everyone else? Was? Yeah. I, well, in yeah, in a classic, classic way where, you know, one of my female colleagues, I we basically I think we even shared a bed. I was like, hey, I'm coming over. I can't be over here anymore. <laughs> Um, like make room here I come because it's oh it's really hard to find like lodging during Olympic time um, it's yeah. always been a hustle and you really have to earn your way to make it over there anyways so it could take a while for you to have confirmation that you're you're heading over um, so yeah it was just it was pretty funny but 
Yeah. So those are those are some of them. So life on the road, you mentioned, is pretty hectic and pretty stressful and pretty overwhelming. And you decided to really walk away from some of that and went into the foundation world. So what happened in your personal life? You walk away from travel. Are you still traveling? I know you have uh, from your bio, you have a husband, kid and dogs, kids, I should say, and dogs now. What is life like today? Is it as, as crazy and adventurous as it once was or what does it look like now? So it is I would say it isn't, but I'm, I'm thankful for it because there wasn't really a great balance. Um, so I just, in 2004, we rented this bus, this old Hooters bus. Okay. Uh, redid it, rewrapped it with a partner and toured across the country. It was crazy. Like we went to, they started in Florida. I met them, I think in Atlanta, we drove up to New York city. We did all their early morning shows and then Michael and I drove, flew over to do the Ryder Cup. And then we met them down in Texas and drove all the way back up to Chicago. So like crazy, right? And so I only made it to Seattle where the rest of the team, the rest of the group made it to California. So it's just like, in a, it's like, wow, it's an amazing experience. It is, but you've got to find balance. So I feel now as I just turned 40, I... I have a better sense of balance. So I know, you know, I get anxious when I leave my kids when I have to travel. So they're just kind of shorter trips. I'm actually heading down to Baltimore uh, next weekend to do a swim across America to help raise some money for um, my good friend, Kathy Bennett, who who's the one who taught Michael how to swim as our program director at the Michael Phelps Foundation. And I'm going to bring my seven-year-old with me. It's going to be her first flight. And I'm super excited to be able to kind of give her that opportunity. Um, so yeah, it definitely, it looks different, but I am happy that things are slowing down a little bit. It was really just kind of too much. I did a lot in those 10, 12 years of, you know, when I was stu- from studying abroad to, you know, 2008 of finishing my time on, on Michael's management team. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's in, it's unsustainable and it sounds like super fun and enjoyable. But at some point, I kind of laugh. I never really wanted to settle down. But yet now I can't imagine. I guess COVID in some ways has been a blessing for me because I'm like, whoa, this is super fun. Mm-hmm. I actually like kind of staying home. I don't know that I've ever done this before. Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, and it, and it took literally a worldwide pandemic for me to actually take that pause mm-hmm. and take a breath and go, oh, this is what could happen if I just stayed home. Mm-hmm. I think it what it did for me is it freed up space. So, you know, I think a lot of people just kind of purge through their stuff emotionally, physically, like even just items in their house. And you just kind of got what you needed. You know, you you just realized what you needed. And so if we didn't have the COVID in that time for me to kind of have that sitting back and reflection. And I probably wouldn't be taking my daughter down to Baltimore with me. You know, I would, I would still be hustling and it wouldn't be as amazing as it should be. You know, when we traveled down there, although you may want to do a follow-up with me after I just do it, but um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, just, you know, I think, I think, right. to like what you're saying is there's definitely a balance and I think slowing down for me actually makes the adventure is more worthwhile because I'm taking more time to think about it. I'm, I'm making it, you know, more memorable by just approaching it more thoughtfully. I love that advice too. I just think so many of us are caught in the busy of life. You know, it's just making it 
through the day and through the week and through the month that you kind of look back and you're, gosh, gosh, where where did this month go and what happened? And am I actually doing what I really want to do? And all of a sudden you wake up and you're 40 and you're going, oh, gosh, what have I done the last 10 years with my life? Right. And where am I going? I think there's some... I don't want to say midlife crisis. I had a quarter life crisis, so I was lucky that that all (laughs) fell apart at 25. So I kind of got that out of the way early enough. But I do think for so many people, they haven't experienced the slowdown effect or the impact of slowing down. And then you kind of look back at your life and go, gosh, what happened? Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really great advice or insights to really slow down. And it does. It makes the adventures more meaningful or more memorable more impactful. And I think that's just really insightful. Awesome. Any fun adventures that are on your list besides this trip to Baltimore with your seven-year-old? I will just say while you're thinking about that, I kind of, I joke every year I make like a list. I am the chief of lists and then I lose the list. So I have to make another list. So I made a list this year on my phone of like different ways to think about life this year or things we might want to accomplish this year. And one of them was to take a trip with the kids where I would take all of the kids and then the my husband would stay home and then we'd flip not necessarily you know back to back or anything like that but he took the kids in the RV and they went for like a serious mountain biking trip and then I got to stay home for three whole days by myself while they were gone and it was so almost weird (laughs) I I literally was like, what am I going to do with myself? And I ended up like purging through the house and remodeling things. And I don't, I don't know that it was actually what I needed, but at the same time, it was so therapeutic that when they got home, I was so refreshed and ready to have them back in my life. Well, we flipped just this last week and he stayed home and did some stuff, whatever he wanted to do. There was no like expectation of the parent that was staying home. And I took the three kids to Colorado where it was just me and the kids. And it was so fun too, because I think I have always traveled on an itinerary and on a schedule and just like had everything planned and had 10,000 options. And on this trip, I booked the flights a couple months ago. But other than that, I had nothing planned until like, I think we left on Wednesday. And on Monday, I was like, I should probably book a place to stay. That's incredible. (laughs) I had very few things actually planned. And it was so refreshing Mm. just to like slow down we went to a couple parks, we went for ice cream. And it was just it was like, oh, this is what slow travel could be like. It's just I think that slowness Mm -hmm. can have benefits in life, but also even on simple trips. Yeah. So and I think, I think at this time in my life with a a five and seven year old, I really let them kind of lead the adventure. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to is that I could come up with this whole plan and if they don't do it, it's going to suck for everyone. So Mm -hmm. um, it's good to have a sense to like an an idea, like, you know, like have a place to stay, like you're saying. But outside of that, we just try to make the best and I try to be kind of a yes mom so that they have fun because that's really what they they want. So even, you know, this weekend's our last, our, our, we have a camper as well. It's one of those that you pull behind like a truck, but we have kept it seasonal. Mm -hmm. So we've done that sort of like you take the kids this weekend, I'll take the kids next weekend. It is awesome. You know, it's nice to have space, but it's also nice to not balance 800 other ideas and opinions on things. You can just say like, okay, we're doing this or okay, we're doing that. So little things like the kids wanted to, you know, we took a walk and we, we went down to the water and they were like, can we jump in with our clothes? I'm like, yes, let's do it. You know? And it's like, one of those things that they'll always remember that's just like a small, a small kind of spark and adventure. 
is kind of where we are right now. I think we're just kind of coming out of the kind of COVID slumber of like, okay, you know, we were just kind of getting by. Let's get some excitement back in our lives and set, like you said, like maybe have a list of things we want to do. So we're kind of waking up from that. And I think we'll probably have some adventures in the next six months or so that the family can agree on that would be fun for everyone. Um, but yeah, we're definitely, you know, the just even the idea of like putting more on our plate after the couple of years we've just had was like, oh, but we tried, I tried to have kind of these sparks of adventure in between that just make you feel like you're still alive, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I think we're going to be kind of looking at some, some bigger things. Hopefully the world settles down and we can, we can go back to a little bit more normal, but, um, I'm excited for the next year. The kids are getting a little older, more independent. So I think we'll have some more room to do some fun stuff. Yeah. I love the idea of like sparks of adventure. Cause I, I do think we sometimes make it complicated. I had a, just a kind of relate to that story of you letting the kids jump in the water in their clothes. I had a moment when we were in Colorado and the kids really wanted to swim at this. It was, it's kind of funny because it it looked like a trashy hotel on the outside. It was a motel with like every old entrance, like every room had its own entrance on the outside. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those kind of like old side. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of shady. And I was like, (laughs) what did we just get ourselves into? Right. So we're trying to make the best of it. It actually ended up being a very delightful place. It was very like homey and resorty or lodge like inside the rooms. And they had some really nice amenities. So it ended up being fine. But the swimming pool was outside and it was maybe 60 degrees out at night. And the kids so wanted to go swimming. And I, I kind of lost my mind briefly and like totally just freaked out and was like, I'm done. I'm done. Everybody get in bed and da, 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 da. And then I was like, mm-hmm. that was not my best mom moment. So I <laughs> told the kids, I'm like, I'm going for a walk. And because I could literally watch the door, I just went for like a little mm-hmm. walk around the parking lot. And I looked at the swimming pool and I was like, why don't I let them go? Why do I care if it's 68 degrees out? Why do I care if they get cold? Like it'll be a splash in the water and then they'll get out and then we can go to bed and everyone will be happy. And so it was so funny because I just had this like blow up mom moment and left and went for my little walk. I came in and I was like, everybody get your swimming suits on. They're like, what? Like they were in bed ready to like make mom happy. And I was like, no, get out of bed. Go get your swimming suits on. We're going to go swimming. And they're like, what? We're going swimming. And Love it. Yep. Spontaneous moment of like something unexpected because they all thought I was going to, well, I did lose my mind. Like I said, not exactly a proud mom moment, but I felt like I redeemed myself a little bit by taking my walk, by cooling down and realizing like, why am I saying no? What, what's the worst that could happen from us jumping in the pool (laughs) at 845 at night? We might be loud. Like there's nothing bad that's going to happen from this. It's just so silly. That's awesome. It's true. You've got to You've got to take those moments and, but really don't discredit because children can really know how to just drive you into the ground. Oh God. Right. <laughs> but that's for another time. That's, that's another therapy session maybe that we <laughs> Right. Oh, oh man. The resilience of when a child asks you the same thing 140 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should see my five-year-old. She's relentless. I have a five-year-old that probably is in competition with your five-year-old. Let's never have them together. Let's never do that. Or let's put them together and have our husbands be in charge. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those weekends where like they have them and we run away. Yeah, that would be amazing. 
Marissa, we just kind of briefly talked about some really fun, spontaneous moments and both ironically involved water. So I also just want to touch on the importance of swim and some of the work that the foundation is focused on. Yeah. So the Michael Phelps Foundation, we have three pillars. We promote water safety, healthy living, and the pursuit of dreams. Unfortunately, drowning is the leading cause of accidental death for children between one and four years old. So, and it's frankly just something like not a lot of parents know. They don't know. First of all, we believe the water is a wonderful place, but it can also be dangerous. So what we try to do is we provide lessons and try to get kids to be comfortable and confident in the water, but also understand that they can never swim alone, how important swimming lessons are, to look before they leap, you know, some of these different things that we're trying to, you know, advocate for, because like I mentioned, parents just don't know how tough how tough it can be. Um, and that's really the response we've gotten when we do talk to parents who've unfortunately lost a child to drowning is that they didn't know. They didn't know how, what the statistics looked like. So we work to do that. And then hopefully after we get... Um, you know, they've had their introduction to the water, then we really hope that they stay in the water and choose that instead of maybe like basketball or something mm-hmm. else. Because um, it's a lifelong sport, you know, it's really good for your body. When even when you're old, you know, there's no impact. Um, if you could, if you have pool access, it just feels it feels good to have the water pressure. A lot of people with autism really appreciate the balanced pressure on your body that water provides. So it's just, we are obviously advocates. I didn't grow up swimming. Maine is not a great straight, you know, we're surrounded by water. We have tons of lakes, tons of rivers, obviously the ocean, but there's no 50 meter pool. Swim classes aren't easily accessible and they're like rather expensive. Um, so it's been really interesting for me to kind of come from a background of not swimming to be thrown into it. And, but it's great because I can speak on the point of like access mm-hmm. and what the realities are. Like parents aren't sending their kids to year round swimming when they really do need to learn how to swim. Um, and a lot of that has, you know, maybe parental fear, maybe because of the cost, maybe just because there is no access to water around them. So those are just kind of the things that we we focus on. We work primarily within boys and girls clubs. Um, because that has been a target group for us. Um, you know, African-American children are five times more likely to drown than their counterparts. So, and we also work with Special Olympics and that's more of like the swim fast. So we love to go to meets, throw some clinics together, things like that. So it's been really, it's been really great to work with both those groups and hopefully have an impact. And it's, it's kind of funny because you don't really, well, you'll never know if you're doing a good job because the alternative is unfortunately maybe that there's been a near drowning or a drowning because they haven't had programming or, you know, experienced it. So, but we just kind of keep, keep plugging away, hoping that we're, we're making an impact. And I think we've taught over a hundred thousand children to swim. So yeah, that's, that's where swimming is in my life now. And I'm doing a swim, a mile swim next weekend. It's, it's not great form, but (laughs) it's for a good cause. And obviously I know how to be safer around the water. So it'll be a good time. I appreciate all of those, just the insights behind all of that and the data behind it, because I also have heard just in general research with uh, adults who take their children out in adventure is a lot of parents, fear is a huge factor and access. So if they didn't grow up with it, they're less likely to teach it to their kids. 
And they're also less likely to even embrace it as an option because they're not the experts in it and they don't like to necessarily be vulnerable in front of their children. So I think the idea of teaching children to swim, especially for parents who may not ever have learned to swim or never been exposed to the water or have access to the water, like you suggested, it's such a generational game changer to get not only kids safe around water, but exploring and trying things that are different than what they may have been exposed to all their lives. So I really appreciate the mission and the work that you guys are doing. It's awesome. It's awesome stuff. Thank you. I also appreciate, and I know part of the reason why Michael Phelps was brought on as our the celebrity guest for the event that we've been talking about is relative to his involvement and his openness and vulnerability around his own mental health journey. So just curious, as you're moving forward, anything else related to helping kids or what the foundation is focused on related to mental health or social and emotional issues, especially given where we are today in this world? Yeah, definitely. So we've always kind of walked alongside Michael, you know, obviously learning how to swim and um, the pursuit of dreams. And the other piece has been we've, we've always approached our program participants with a holistic approach. So we've always tried to have a balance of physical and emotional lessons within the curriculum that we have. In 2016, when Michael really started opening up about his own battle with depression and and his mental health journey, then we wanted to make sure that we had additional lessons for children just strictly on social emotional issues. We do have for free on our website, eight lessons that were developed by Nemours Kids Health that helps kids identify their feelings, name their feelings. They come up with ways to relax. We have four calm breaths and a slew of others, um, just identifying stress and what makes you stress and being able to reach out for help. So that's been really powerful. And over the last couple of years, because we haven't been able to do a lot of our in-water programming, we've really focused on providing those lessons and funding clubs so that they can help their members come back. Because a lot of these kids, the club was their home and it closed and they were in really awful situations where parents were laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, they were stuck in tiny apartments and it was really, really sad. And so we were just wanted to do everything we could to get these clubs back open and help these amazing staff bring these kids back and feel a little bit more equipped. So we have those available on our website, michaelphelpsfoundation.org which could be a good tool for anyone, a parent, a caregiver. Um, it's primarily for kids six to nine years old, but you can really take the lessons and apply it, you know, to anything, any sort of situation or age. Awesome. Thank you for that. I'm sure I, even as a parent, have seen so many bouts of just things, right, that kids are dealing with and not sure how to manage. Mm-hmm. I know I had a parent on who is in the medical field and too was just sharing that most kids aren't necessarily concerned about more time. I know we think it's like more time or they don't want their parents to work less. Actually, they just want their parents to not be as stressed when they get home. So I even think, Mm. you know, these kids that are not just Mm. that sometimes as parents, we need to also be mirrors for our children. You know, how can we reflect back safe practices or healthy practices and, and how do we handle stress? So in some ways, I would even say, parents, if you have a chance, go ahead and take a look at these. Right. 
Well, Marissa, it has been such an honor and a pleasure. And I'm excited that we were able to connect. And someday we are going to see each other again in person. I promise. (laughs) I'm like, I have my right hand up just so you know, you can't see this right now. It doesn't come through very well in the microphone, but it's like my pledge that I am going to connect with you and ideally in Maine because Maine is one of the few states I've never been to. So it will happen. Well, we will welcome you gladly. I will put my kids right on that RV and you guys can go on an adventure and then check back in a couple of weeks later. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Just throw Perfect. another couple. All right. Well, we have a plan, Heidi. Thank you so much for your time. Um... <laughs> awesome. If people wanted to connect with you, Marissa, or if they want to support the Michael Phelps Foundation or the work that you're doing, how would they find you? Yeah. So I think mostly everything's on, on our website, uh, michaelphelpsfoundation.org. We also have uh, Facebook backslash Michael Phelps Foundation and then Instagram at MP Foundation. Um, so we try to try to keep everything up to date. You know, my email is Marissa at michaelphelpsfoundation.org. See, there's a little bit of a trend there. Um, but if anyone has any questions yeah. about sort of anything we talked about or if they want to get their kids starting to swim or or um, they want to find out what happened on that old Hooters bus, just reach out and I'll be happy to hear from you. Awesome. It is so fun. Thank you so much, Marissa, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Heidi. I loved this conversation and I have 10 key takeaways for you today. Number one, go broke once in your life. Having the perspective of humble means you learn to appreciate the things in front of you. Number two, Never say no to a new opportunity. You can always go back. You can always change your mind, but self-selecting out of an opportunity, that opportunity might not ever come back. Number three, epic adventure life is not sustainable. At some point, we all have to come down from the summit. Number four, slowing down allowed Marissa the ability to approach adventures more thoughtfully and make adventures more meaningful overall. Number five, 2020 freed up space in her life to go through the stuff both physically and mentally. It allowed her to sit back and reflect about what's important. Number six, currently she and her family are waking up from the slumber and finding little sparks of adventure. Perhaps you're waking up from a slumber. What are the little sparks, the mini adventures that could light you up? Number seven, on family adventures, you can only plan so much. Her point was at some point you need to let the kids lead and get out of the way. Number eight, Drowning is the number one cause of preventable death for children under the age of four. Swimming is a lifelong sport that has implications on overall health, well-being, and safety. If you haven't considered it, try swimming. If you aren't comfortable around the water, take lessons. Number nine, water has magical qualities that can heal in many ways, while in the water and while around the water. Number 10, The Michael Phelps Foundation offers free lessons to help with social and emotional strategies. Head over to their website at michaelphelpsfoundation.org to download these resources and so many other opportunities. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you're thinking about how you might learn to swim through whatever life is throwing at you right now, whether it be figuratively or physically. As always, I appreciate you joining me on this adventure, spending just a little bit of your time that I know is so precious, joining me on this journey to inspire families to explore simple and authentic adventures. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.